Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex and as always I'm joined by Bruno. Bruno, I'm not going to tell the listeners what gesture you were doing to try and make me laugh right before we started recording. So I'm I'm not even going to revisit that because I'm not going to put you on the spot because I am not a dickhead, I'm like you. Anyway, um, I want to start this pod before I even bother to ask how you are, Bruno. Just for just for that, I'm skipping over, right? I want to give a brief mention to uh, Sir Jeffrey Schlupp, the one and only, the greatest to ever do it. Um, I promise I'll do a public apology. So here it is. I'm sorry I called you fat and useless and all the rest of it, like most fans. Um, I am a little bit critical of Stuart, as we know. We have sort of scapegoated him. And of course, he came up with a very important goal against Burnley. On a more positive note, probably a more serious one, uh, we've got a lot to cover today. It's a bit of a double bill. Um, we're going to be looking at Spurs first and then Burnley, as well as a whole load of other issues, because there was a lot of news to come through in these last few weeks. Um, now that that's out of the way, <laughs> it's a fucking car crash for an intro, but I'm rolling with it. I'm rolling with it. How are you, Bruno? I'm good. Definitely much better now that Palace have scored more than one goal in the game. I've seen Tyrick Mitchell score with his feet, uh, and we've actually picked up a win away from home uh, against the team I was quite worried by. I mean, I know they've been terrible, but... Um, when it's Burnley, you never know. You do never know. I mean, we had a really good run where we were just winning game after game at Turf Moor and then it kind of dried up. I mean, I'm thinking 3 0 at Selhurst. Do you remember that? Like, that was again a Roy Hodgson game. And I prefer not to remember that entire season, if I'm honest. All I can <sighs> um, yeah. think about is just Benteke was good that year and we signed Eze. Uh, and, you know, he was, he definitely played until my, my memory gets really hazy around sort of May or so. Um, specifically before the Arsenal game. I can't remember if anything major happened injury-wise before that. Certainly not two Achilles injuries in the space of a week to my two favourite players. But, you know, we move. Such a weird time to be a Palace fan. Like, bizarre. Mm. I think, I mean, generally, I think we, we can't sort of just put ourselves on a pedestal here. I think football generally was a very strange, strange thing to be following at that time. COVID and all that. I don't want to revisit that. Um, i tell you what, forget a positive. While we're on an absolute down with that, Bruno, um, I also wanted to briefly talk about Nathan Ferguson because that obviously was something that it sort of came and went in terms of what people were talking about, but we haven't really addressed it properly. So on the last time, the last time we spoke, I should say, <laughs> we were sort of really optimistic he was going to make his comeback, weren't we? So what then happened, Bruno? Well, you know, Nathan's had a horrific run of injuries. Um, he's re- He was recovering from his latest uh, hamstring injury that he picked up. Um, towards the end of last season uh, and we gave him a really slow recovery um, he, he completed minutes for the 21s over the last month or so and he completed his first full 90 in the game against Monaco for the 21s and some point between 90 minutes and the end of the game uh, he I don't even know how to explain this he completely fucked his hamstring i mean i'm not one to sort of swear lightly on this pod but um I, I, i've been nathan ferguson's biggest supporter for the last we know. Years. We that know. is that is that is an objective fact like yeah. if you ask anybody in the palace community who here you know is continuously behind nathan ferguson they might um you know they they, they might mention stuart shaver sorry i was laughing just imagining Stuart Shave and I in a room, but um, I think my name would probably come up for sure. Um, but it's getting to that point, and I hate to say it, that on a um, footballing level, I don't have much faith. On a personal level, I'm sure he can come back and play football to some degree. But um, like in terms of Palace and the Premier League, I just don't think after four years out that it can happen. Like the last time you saw a player have that much of a horrific injury record and come back was. Ronaldo, R9, um, with his double knee injury that kept him out for effectively two years. That's half the amount of time that Nathan Ferguson's been out. And he's had, and he had the general advantage of, you know, being Ronaldo um, as opposed to, you know, Nathan Ferguson. Uh, so, yeah, it's it, it's a huge blow for the lad. I mean, you know, he's got a brilliant attitude and I can't imagine how tough it, how tough it is to um, have setback after setback after setback. Um, and honestly, I just hope it works out for him on a personal and a working note, because at this point, you really start to worry about his future in football and about his mental health. So I hope he's doing all right. Yeah, I love to say it, but a lot of people were saying this is kind of premature retirement territory. You know, this is the point at which it's it's arguable. Can he even <laughs> have a career if this no, is a recovery no, thing? No, 
I mean, no, I he's still incredibly young. Uh, Patrick Vieira said himself in a press conference not too long ago, Nathan is still young um, at this stage in his career. It's it's not something to be particularly worried about. I don't think um, retirement is an issue, mostly because of the um, fact that so many of these injuries have been unconnected, right? Um, I think it's a horrific combination of bad luck and bad management. Um I mean, the original major knee injury that Fergie picked up seemed to be the product of the increased intensity uh, that he was experiencing. So when he made his debut for West Brom, uh, that was his first time obviously playing up uh, at a senior level. But at the same time, it was also his first time playing at fullback, having played at centre-back for his entire youth career. So Ferguson experienced this like double surge in intensity um, you know, playing a much more uh, intensive role of fullback and playing much more rigorous and physical and fast-paced championship football compared to the 21s. And that kind of wear and tear, especially if, you know, with a player getting the minutes that he was getting, um, was probably responsible at some point for the for the knee injury that built up over time and resulted in him having effectively a year out of football. And that rustiness and also his character, you know, his eagerness to get back and prove himself as a Premier League player. Um, you know, there, there, there are rumours that potentially that eagerness and that um, fight to get back led to him straining himself. And, you know, that's the string of muscle injuries that he's faced. And because of all that time he spent out, football at this level simply isn't viable for him because it's just going to result in hamstring injury after hamstring injury. So I don't think retirement is an issue yet. But I don't see him playing at a Premier League or Championship level again for the rest of his career, and it devastates me to say that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I love to say it, but you know, it, you've got to feel for him, haven't you? Bottom line, yeah. I mean, it's it's such a difficult position, and I think I speak for everyone when I say that we have concerns for his mental well being, and we really hope he's looking after himself in that regard because you are staring down the barrel as a footballer in that position. I mean, even just a year out is a tough and isolating world. You're you're away from what you do. You know, obviously these things can have a longer term impact and that's always going to be a massive concern for what is essentially a very short career in the grand scheme of your life. So to have this amount of time out must be devastating. But look, I don't want to dwell on it. I think that's all the kind of weirdness and negativity out of the way for one pod. So uh, I want to jump into what else has been going on in the World Palace. I mean, the other only other thing I wanted to mention before we look at the games itself is obviously news that sort of came in between on, on contract extensions. Um, we knew about one of them in the form of San Johnson for some time. Uh, there was obviously a lot of talk that, uh, particularly for Fabrizio Romano, that he'd extended this contract to 2027. That emerged to be the case, which was announced recently. Um, and of course, Jordan Ayew um, saw another extension to his contract as well. So Bruno, give you, me your thoughts on each player, because I mean, they're both vital to this team. I don't think there's much to say on that, but where do you see them uh, going in the next few years with Palace? Well, there's no denying Ayu's influence, especially since um, Roy came in. He wasn't the best under Vieira, but um, he's had a resurgence. We put out an article about it, um, just to plug that. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm glad we've um, extended his contract because with him and Johnston, um, these are very experienced players at both the Premier League level and you know with the club at this point. Sam Johnston obviously is a huge fan. Um, of everything we do here and of the fans um, themselves. Sorry for that repetition. But um, I, you know, call Crystal Palace a special club. He he gets what it means, I think, um, to be a Palace player and even a Palace supporter himself. Um, and with the upcoming transition um, that we will face once Roy does leave us, players who will ground the young and ambitious players in the squad and know what it means to play for Crystal Palace and know their way around the club uh, are exactly what's needed. Because, you know, you risk, if you're making a huge transition and you're signing loads of new ambitious players, a situation like we saw with Leicester last season, where everyone's contracts are up or they're expecting that big move at the end of the year and they're not really playing for anything other than themselves. And I think having a culture of team... Um, uh, leaders and team workers such as Ayu, such as Joel Ward, such as um, Johnston, and the players who understand the culture of the club and have been here for so long, like Klein and Schlupp, you know, despite their, um, you know, differences in ability that some may argue they have, can be crucial um, to building a positive squad mentality. 
Um, and it's something that maybe we wish we could have done two years ago under Vieira, I think, if I wouldn't have doubts about Vieira's abilities uh, and had fully backed him, we would have seen some of these players not get renewed. You know, it's one of the reasons why I'm not necessarily convinced we'll let Schlupp go at the end of the season because... Me neither, no, again, me neither. Yeah, he's got that versatility and he can still perform as we saw at the weekend. You know, I've obviously been a harsh critic, but players with his experience, both Premier League and the club, and also his mindset are really valuable in times of transition, especially, you know, we will probably want to move on to a long-term manager after Roy. Um, and these are the kind of players you want at the start of that reign to keep some semblance of what it was before to ease that transition and to keep everyone grounded. Sounds a bit Groundhog Day talking about transitioning any manager, but that's another story for another time. Um, looking at the wider context then of the, of the next two games that we're looking at today, I mean, it couldn't be more different in terms of contrast, right? I mean, Spurs were obviously high-flying under Andrew Postacoglu. They're still unbeaten to this day. Burnley is sort of at the foot of the table, really looking like they're in the middle of it. Um, how did you really see both of those games in, in the wider context? Did you kind of expect the results that we ended up getting? Um, expected the results, but maybe less so the performances. Um, I thought Spurs was dull. I mean, it was. I mean, I guess you kind of expect it, considering the squad that we had going into that game. But I also thought Spurs were... Pretty poor going forward. Not something you'd expect from a so-called title contenders, although I'm sure Andrew Postacoglu will reject that um, description. Um, beautiful goal from Jordan Ayew. Um, <laughs> say, yeah. He's obviously in brilliant form at the moment, uh, which is something you just love to say. You know, he's the kind of player that when he does badly, he's a scapegoat. But my God, when he does well, you love to see it. Mm. Um, you know, the kind of players that are scoring for us at the moment. Um, without our big, with our sorry, with our big hitters out um, and unavailable, uh, just make it so much more enjoyable when they do score. You know, players like Schlapp, players like Mitchell, players like Ayu. When they score, you want to laugh and cry at the same time mm. with happiness. Like that's what being a Palace fan is about: is those underdog players. You know, that sheer surprise and amazement that a player um, that you've taken the mick out of for so long could score a goal and take you to a win. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Spurs was a tough watch. Um, I personally didn't actually spend much time watching it. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's really not much to say to be honest. I'll, I'll reflect back at you. What were your thoughts on Spurs? No, I'm aware you weren't able to catch all of it. I, as it happens, was in a pub in Manchester full of Spurs fans. So, no, I watched the full 90. I mean, another thing I wanted to add, and, you know, I have to be careful here not to go too far in my praise, but... I am a huge fan and always have been of Ange Postecoglou. Yeah, because I, I was a sports writer, but when I was a sports writer back in the day, not to flags, and I say sports writer, guys, I didn't write for anywhere big. I wrote for like these sort of news now sort of type sites, you know, when I was starting out in my career. I don't do anything related to sports writing and haven't for a few years now. But um, at the time, I was, uh, you know, I was writing a lot about Celtic. That was one of my assigned teams. I ended up sort of learning a lot about them, really getting involved there. Um, and I happened to come into them just as Ange Postecoglou was appointed. So I've literally watched his, in most of his reign at Celtic. Um, I sort of stopped sports writing, went into marketing at the end. Um, so I didn't, like I say, I didn't see the full reign. I didn't see the full process, but I certainly got the gist of what he was about, both as a person and as a tactician. And I want to draw attention to that latter one because he plays with a lot of risk, like freedom, but risk more so than even Pep Guardiola or those types. I think the way he particularly inverts and pushes the fullbacks is a huge part of the way mm. he plays. He absolutely loves to overload the midfield and the amount of service that, you know, the likes of James Madison and Hugh McSon are getting is insane. So, you know, I think the way he's got them attacking is almost, <laughs> it, it, their attacking play is so good. So the fact they only scored seems like, seem, what seems like two goals a game is actually disappointing, to be honest, because I think the way mm. they play almost warrants more. And I think we dealt with that threat fairly well for most of the first half. You know, we actually ended up being probably the better team in that first half, at least, you know. I certainly think in terms of attacking them on the counter and having a few great chances. I mean, Edouard was fantastic at that, pretty much from start to finish in that first half. And I mean, it was routine. Every felt like every 10 yeah. minutes or so, we were having a pretty decent chance. So it was a shame we couldn't capitalise. I mean, that first half was very different to the second, of course. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you've mentioned Edward because I'm going to use him as our way of transitioning into the Burnley game. Um, because I think he gets... A a lot of stick from Palace fans um, when he's not scoring, obviously, because uh, he's not your typical not scoring striker. You know, he doesn't hold up play particularly well. He doesn't uh, have, you know, a burst of pace or strength or a, that much of a dribble in him. But he gets in positions a lot. And I think 
um, what's unlucky for Edward is he's just in a team right now that doesn't have those creative players yet fully up to fitness. You know, but you know, with Michael Elise coming back in the next game, with Eze back now, um, Ayu in such good form, Lerma and Decore being able to return to their most familiar roles with Eze stepping in, you get the sense that Edward will return to the form we saw at the start of the season. Um, you know, with Edward, it's always about the service. I know it's said so much, but it's also just so true. The guy thrives off good um balls and uh you know, just balls into the box and he doesn't deserve the criticism he's gotten. Against Burnley, he had um, you know, a good chance he was put through. And he kind of fluffed his lines. And that does tend to be what happens when you're playing with one chance a game, is the you know, the eyes are all on you in that 1v1 situation. And you know it's your one chance, and you kind of just snatch at it and you want to be safe. You want to guarantee you make the right choice just so you don't get dropped for the other striker that's rating um mm. to come in for you. So you know, Edward got criticised quite quite harshly after that Burnley game, but I don't think you can criticise him because at the end of the day, we got a 2-0 win away from home. Yeah, it wasn't pretty, and yeah, we played pretty terribly, but um, the way we played wasn't down to the striker. He was just uninfluential because that's the kind of player he is. He's a finisher, not a not a creator. Um, we should get used to that, you know, with the players we have around him that just aren't playing yet. It's such a recurring problem. I mean, I'm just thinking back to the Wolves game earlier in the season where we did see Eduardo his best scoring a brace. Even his debut against Spurs, if we really run it back to that, that early VR yeah. period, it was all based on the fact that he had essentially three creative players shadowing him. He had a central attacking midfielder and he had two wingers either side, all of which were at a very high standard for the Premier League, certainly for a mid-table club. You know, so it goes to show that I think just when he has the right ingredients, he knows how to make a cake, right? Don't quote me on that. That's a terrible analogy, but we're going to run with it. Um, no, but I actually, I know exactly what you mean um, with that. And the thing with Edward is he just thrives off um, receiving the ball in the box. Um, and what we've been doing with those players out um, is giving him the ball outside the box and expecting him to run in, create, or, um, you know, turn and release and then get into the box for a cross. And that's not kind of the kind of player he is. He wants to receive the ball at his feet in the box or from a low whipped cross. And we saw that goal against Wolves. We saw the second goal against Wolves. We saw the goal against Sheffield. If you put the ball into a dangerous position, somewhat low, not near his head because he can't jump for shit, but he will score a goal. And, you know, multiple in a game, if you do it multiple times, it's an easy pattern. You know, he's got good um, attacking link up with players like Michael Elise and also with players like Tyrek Mitchell. You know, they've got a good sort of cross and finish relationship. Uh, and a lot of Eddie's goals have stemmed from Michael Lise's build-up place. So, like, you know, once those players are all back, we have a lot to look forward to. Um, this next month, I think, particularly, provided we don't get any more injuries, should be quite exciting. Um, but then we're going to hit this really tough period in December, you know, with loads of fixtures at one time, all against the big hitters. We've got Chelsea, um, Liverpool, City, you know, Brighton. It's going to be pretty horrific. <laughs> Part of that thought, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I do like what yeah. you're saying there because I think, you know, in the wider context of these two games, which was my original point here, you know, Spurs was always going to be a ridiculously tough ask. And I think, particularly coming off that 4 0 against Newcastle, I just didn't want to embarrass ourselves. I wanted to see some new faces. Yeah. I wanted to see a bit more of uh, of some, some ambition, frankly. Just uh, just not not to win, not to necessarily try and reinvent the wheel, but just to do something that showed that we were Were gonna, you satisfied? Was... Did you get to see the ambition you wanted? Yeah, no, no, yeah, absolutely. I think that first half, even even like we say, Edward was isolated. He had to create things on his own, which isn't, you know, when he drives at players, he's not the best. He's sort of all right, but he, he's really sort of a, 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 not even a jack of all trades. He's just sort of mediocre and everything and sort of pops he's, up. He's a mediocre of all trades. Mediocre of all trades, yeah, but um, not the point. I think, you know, he, he was good. He was fine. I think everyone was pretty okay in that game. I think Jordan Ayew obviously was probably one of our best players. It was a real shame for Joe Ward, by the way, because yeah, that was agonizing. I at a personal level, you always have to feel for what felt like a really avoidable own goal. But he, you know, he is the classic case. I think Anderson's done it quite a lot himself as well. You know, the classic kind of sticking up the legs, divert, doing the right thing, being in the right place, and then just sort of getting the angle just wrong that the ball just just comes off terribly. So it was really unfortunate to concede early on in the second half of the manner we did, particularly when I thought we were all right. Um, and then obviously Sanchez Men. Pretty much the one time we give them a bit too much space on one side and we sort of allow them to drive with a with a yeah. plan to kind of counter that and they just run riot. And 
I think for someone who has such an excellent record against us, I mean, I actually triple captain him because I was that confident. But yeah, for someone with such a good record against Palace, I think it was pretty unsurprising when someone of his calibre was able to score. I don't think there's too much to be said for the Spurs game on the whole. I think it was a fairly solid performance. I think that was pretty well documented. I don't think we can add too much to that. But I think certainly it has to be said that it wasn't anything near as bad as we saw against Newcastle. That alone shows that I think this is a team that, again, wants to get back to its best and is making the right sort of, not just noises, but actual effort on the pitch to get there too. Um, Before we just move on to Burnley in a bit more detail, um, I wanted to cover some controversial quotes by Roy Hodgson, which he later made up for, because I think this was a bit of a saga that got people talking. And I mean, I have to give credit first and foremost for Roy to actually just acknowledge what he'd said and uh, and how he was feeling in the midst of when he said that and then to actually backtrack. I, I think we're too quick to kind of jump on people for backtracking. But actually what this was to me was someone who I think had the humility to accept that. Um, I'll just yeah. read out the quote in full. I mean, he basically singled out Mateus Franza, uh, Raksaki and uh, Hamada after that 2-1 home loss by saying they didn't do anything for us at all, really. We became much weaker when I made the substitutions. Um you know, he was basically talking about how disappointing it was to make those sort of more attacking-minded tweaks and not really get anything for it. Now, in essence, it's not actually untrue, I, I don't think. You know, I think we were able to get to a position where France could have equalised with the last kick of the game, essentially out of nothing. And I think to actually then just lampoon him for that is a bit much. But, you know, they did make somewhat of an impact, but ultimately they didn't have any material outcome on the game in the way we would have liked. That being said, I think the principle of getting on them was just a bit too much, Bruno. What did you think? Well, I mean, he's come out and apologised. I think everyone knows he's in the wrong. Um, it's a weird quote. People have spoken about it. Um, I'm glad he's spoken to the players. You know, he, he said he'd apologise to them and explained. Um, but what, one little thing I'll just touch on um, is what he was apologising for. Uh, you know, he was apologising for saying it, but he still said he regretted the substitutions. And that he was like, you know, I made the wrong substitutions. And that's where I'm going to have to disagree with him. Because, um, you know, at 2-0 down against Spurs, with the players we had on the bench, we didn't concede any more goals after they came on. We scored a goal after they came on. We started pushing up the pitch. Um, statistically, that's shown. And you could see it with your eyes. I mean, obviously, that tends to happen in the latest stages of a game where one team's defending a lead. But... Even then, yes, they were relatively ineffective, but they need minutes in order to um, progress. Mateus Franza is 19 years of age. He showed immense potential um, and ability in the Brazilian league. Um, and how is he going to even come close to that in the Premier League if he doesn't have minutes against the best players? And that's what Spurs are this season. They are one of the best teams under one of the best managers. And... I don't understand how at 2-0 down, when they're the only attacking players you have to choose from, you know, our best academy prospects are £20 million signing and supposedly, you know, our potential future box-to-box midfielder. I don't understand how bringing them on can ever be a bad thing if you don't concede any more goals and if you score a goal. I was very confused by it and I appreciate him apologising. It was completely the right thing to do. But... I disagree with him and, you know, obviously he is more experienced than me, but I disagree with him that he made a mistake with those substitutions. No, for sure. Like I, I can appreciate where he was coming from in the midst of all that frustration. Why couldn't they do more? But that is a very tall order, one that does no one any favours and isn't really untrue. It's not, sorry, not really true, I should say, because as you've just mentioned there, I mean, obviously, you know, they were able to make some of a material, somewhat of an impact. Sorry. It was, a, it was a bit of a funny one, really, but um, just, just a bit on the come down there. Um, he sort of wrote back on Thursday, right before the Burnley game, just admitting uh, just a really simple quote. I mean, the headline was just that, you know, he said it was wrong of me to do so in the disappointment of the game. And I think he acknowledged the storm he'd been caught up in. And speaking of youngsters, Burnley was always going to be interesting because it's the start of what is a very positive run. You know, you're looking at that game thinking, right, this is a game against a, a team that looks like relegation for frankly. That, you know, they have a manager who has, very, again, kind of reminds you of someone, doesn't it? A very good philosophy, a very similar way of playing to a, a certain style of football that we've had as Palace fans before, but maybe doesn't necessarily have the right tools or the right acumen to execute it. That's my take on company. But that this is, of course, Vincent Company's Burnley. And, um, you know, it was always a game we were going to fancy. Um, what were your thoughts just on that game alone coming into it, just briefly? I was optimistic, hoping we'd play something a little bit more fluid and attacking, and we didn't see any of that. Um, 
we took the typical Roy Hodgson away approach to the games where we let the home side have the majority of the ball. We stood off them for the most part and we pounced on mistakes. Effectively, it's a tried and tested formula for Roy uh, and for us. And it paid off. Um, happy with the win. Players performed. Our players, I felt, were pretty good individually. Like, if you look at that game, I don't think you can say there are any players that were actively poor. Um, you know, I was good. Um, well, actually, no, Joel Ward was pretty crap. Um, just to put it bluntly, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I love Joel Ward um, so much, but Osho, the 19-year-old, you know, just had it for complete toast. I... <laughs> he has consistently impressed me, to be fair. I think as a dribbler and as someone who could drive at people, I think he's always yeah. been pretty sharp in my book. So I think if if Burnley go down, um, I'm, I feel like he'll get a big move somewhere else, you know. I think he's almost too yeah. good to not go at that level. So anyway, I digress, got to digress, carry on. Yeah, but, you know, barge of board, poor guy, uh, yeah. and maybe Odson Edward, I thought um, individually we were pretty good. We just couldn't quite get our passing movements off. Um you can sort of talk about an off day or maybe it's a coaching thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, we got three points away from home against the side. You'd be embarrassed if we didn't beat. Uh, and that's no disrespect to Burnley. It's just we've been in the Premier League for 10 years and this is their first season back. Um, we've supposedly got the infrastructure. But we're definitely working towards it um, now, you know, with the academy and with the stadium. You know, you'd hope we'd be able to compete at this level. And whilst it may not have seemed it to the... Uh, just aesthetically and by watching the game that we were competing, um, the result proves that with that style of football, we can still get a result away from home. And I think making those results, keeping those results rather and making them pretty um, is the next step of the project that we've tried twice before. Um, and hopefully three times the charm once Roy Hodgson leaves and we bring in someone new. And we've got some pretty um, interesting names lined up. So, you know, there's a lot to look forward to on that front. That sounds a bit in the know of you, of you, Bruno. That's uh, that's worried me now. Don't drop any bombs, Charles, tonight. Yeah, no, but I any... think that'll be unwise. Got to save it for uh, for future articles, but yeah, no, of course, of course, there is one name we'll discuss because I think we decided that there was a lot of chat about that anyway. But we'll get on to that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we have to respect Burnley up to a point. I think the way they played their brand of football in the Championship was outstanding. But you know, this is a different animal. Yeah. It seems to me like we sort of played into the textbook way to beat them, which is to kind of just play them at their own game, you know, get them on the counter, exploit weaknesses. You know, the, there is a, a mismatch in terms of quality, I think, within that squad. I think there are, there's a lot of raw talent, but some that maybe isn't refined enough to be at Premier League level. And, you know, there's a lot of teams like that, I feel, this season that are just sort of giving it a good go, you know. And there's got to be something to be up to a point that said for that. It's a great place to develop, you know, even through the toughest of times. You know, that will, that will these are experiences for these sorts of players and these sort of teams that will shape their careers for the, for the better in many ways. But nonetheless, that doesn't really matter from a Palace perspective. But at the end of the day, this is a team that we feel we should be beating and we did. Now, I was disappointed too. I think we gave them far too much respect and we could have easily played a more attacking brand of football on the basis of, well, man for man in these key jewels and these key areas, we are a better team than them. I think we would have won that way too, to be honest. But at the end of the day, I think, yeah, there was obviously a lot of stylistic questions to sort of go on the counter like that. But at the end of the day, Brian, just one question, like, can we actually be mad? Before we look at the goals, by the way, I think it's worth looking at those two at the very least. Before we look at that, can we be mad that much? Or is it something that's more concerning? No, no. no. I mean, we, we've won two all the way from home, like I've said, like three times, you know. Um, it, this is just what we're going to have to deal with this season. Um, our secure and safety first victories against the teams you'd expect us to win against. Slightly painful draws in the odd game. Maybe one surprise this season and just giving in against the the big hitters because uh, that's the you know Roy Hodgson textbook way of getting mid-table for a season um, this season basically became a write-off once we um, messed up the summer I mean Wilf and Guaita really did um, do us no favours with the way they handled their exits um, we expected them both to stay um, and I mean Bruno I'd argue that's more of a failure from the board to not have a strong enough contingency for that it is yeah, and it, it is to some degree a failure from the board but we've spoken about failures from the board for a while um, so we'll just keep that as a given um, fair enough the, yeah it's just um, the problems that those players leaving um, created are still being felt to this day in that this season 
um, it's a placeholder until we can have a manager. Yeah, we have discussed. Yeah, we've discussed this idea before, haven't we, Bruno? We call it like a filler yeah. episode. It, this is how it yeah. feels. It's it's just a massive filler episode, essentially. This is I like mean, seasons two to four of Better Call Saul, right? Have I used that yeah. analogy before? I think I did. You have not, well. but it's a very good one to those of That's you who are familiar with Better Call Saul. It's a very, very slow television show, albeit brilliant, especially once you get to the final season. I mean, what I'll say is we were pretty heavily linked with former Borussia Mönchengladbach manager uh, Adi Huter um in the um summer transfer window and we really liked him he's now at monaco and doing really well there but what i'll say is um we re-signed roy on the 3rd of july and who to join monaco on the 4th my point is we really liked the look of him um but monaco were able to offer something that we probably weren't able to and roy was the best option with the amount of time before the preseason for us in that kind of situation so it's the situation we're in. Um, we weren't able to go for the project starting this season. Uh, we needed another year of stability before going into that. Obviously, if the next one fails, I don't think we can quite bring back Roy from retirement to um, guide us to a secure season. So we'll see um, what the plan is going forward. But um, yeah, it's it's not optimistic on that front. But, you know, going back to Burnley, um, there are positives to take. We do have young players who have talent, specifically Nauru Rahamada. Alex, I'd love to hear your thoughts on his performance off the bench, especially after Roy's comments. No, of course, I was going to just say about Roy's comments, actually. I think for someone who seems or has at least seemed to be in the past to be out of Roy's thinking, I think he's slowly working his way back in. And I was really impressed with his performance. I mean, he doesn't get enough credit for the pre-assist. You know, as a... Do you know what that goal reminded me of? Do you know that Sergio Busquets tee up for Messi where he gets an assist? Oh my god! From like halfway down the pitch, that's what it reminded Nara me. Nara Hamada is not quite Sergio Busquets. No, no, I'm talking about Eze actually. The one that was. Oh, oh okay, you mean? I'm saying yeah. Hamada does most of the work there, bombing down the right. And there's an argument here that he could kind of be an artificial kind of right midfielder, but that's another that's another story. You know, I think the way he started in and was a threat there was fantastic late in the game, and I think obviously to work to get the ball to Eze, who then as I say, just this Busquets-esque tee up on his return from injury yeah. to sort of get the most sort of, uh, stat pad, actually. <laughs> Effortless is one, is one way to put it. It was an absolute stat pad from Eze. Just sort of give it a light touch. Mitchell rushes in. I can't. Who was behind him? Was it Schlepp? I'd imagine it was Schlepp as well on the underlap. Um, there's two players rushing for the ball. It's not just Mitchell. It was a Hamader completing his run. Oh, well, fuck it up. That's some work rate there, isn't it? No, no you get the point. Yeah, there was no, a... he plays the ball to Eze and expects it back. And it looks like it's going to Hammer, but Tyra called to leave it, as he said in the interview. And uh, my God, what a finish. Striker's finish. Yeah, really composed. You know, oh. absolutely nothing to lose. Just sort of just sort of whiskers it round. It's not, there's not too yeah. much power on it, but the, the direction is... I was amazed by it. <laughs> the, the weight of the touch to get that to curl in the way it did it is phenomenal. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. So... I mean, Tarek Mitchell in his rapport after the goal was fantastic. And I was particularly like touched to see um, Paddy McCarthy's interview as well and how they bring Tarek into that. And speaking of which, Paddy McCarthy, that's an interesting point because we did park that earlier. And I wanted to revisit that because a lot of people are now seeing more and more of these interviews that Paddy's doing behind the scenes and his relationship with Ty and the way that's being put so much into the public domain. And it's an absolute stretch, I think, first, firstly, to just base it just off of that, but actually to, to get to the point where we might be saying, right, are we grooming Paddy McCarthy to be the next head coach? Well, that's not so impossible. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Well, we know Paddy is extremely highly rated at the club. Um, you can see that based off his progression. You know, he's managed, um, I think, at both stages of the youth level and now he's um being tested uh at, at the senior level um obviously he is actually the assistant manager and not ray lewington um which was a really interesting decision by the club you know that's our way of giving him that that title and the opportunity to um learn in a more advanced role uh and he's built relationships with players at the club you know he was really close with wilf we know from the interview that he was really close with Tyrick. Um, and those are so crucial at a club like Palace, those relationships. And I'm going to, you know, say yet again, it's those kind of individuals that are so crucial in an upcoming transition period. And whilst I may not personally think that um, Paddy McCarthy is the right person right now for us, in three to four years' time, I think he absolutely could be. He's still got a lot to learn. Um, 
we've seen that from our results when he has been managing us um, directly, such as Villa and at Arsenal last season. Um, But, you know, he's so influential at the club. He's so well-liked. He knows everything and everyone. Um, And to have a voice like him, to be an assistant manager or, a you know, influential coach um, around the squad for whoever the next manager is would be so crucial for them getting the, the you know, the squad on board, the fans on board, uh, welcoming new signings. I mean, he's just such a perfect person to have, you know, having play, played and managed for the club. Um, I mean, what a man, really. Uh, it's pretty much impossible not to like um, Maka. So, so yeah. He's got a bit of that about him, hasn't he? he he's incredibly likable. He interviews brilliantly. And like you say, he's clearly well regarded at all levels and has great rapport with those around him. I mean, for, for, just from a man management and a charisma standpoint, you've seen, we mentioned Postacoglu earlier. He seems to be the master of it at the moment. Guardiola's obviously famed for it too, Club. You know, he's got that kind of gift of the gab that you, sometimes you just can't teach as a manager. You need to be personable. You need to be able to get through to players, but also be able to sort of, uh, you know, balance the carrot and the stick and actually have a good grasp on both. And I think he's someone who strikes me as someone who could do that, you know. But I want to just sort of call out, not really call out as harsh, because I do have my reservations too about his actual tactical acumen. But I know he's he's played with a back three. I know he has some ideas, um, but he's, he's sort of every shape before and things like that. He has his principles, but I, I always think it's a bit too harsh to judge him against the two games he's independently managed. One of them was sort of an interim with a shell shock squad against who at the time looked, you know, an Arsenal team that looked nailed on to be champions, you know, and obviously we got smashed 4-1. And then, of course, there was the... Uh, the Roy Hodgson, I mean, infamously, I should say, really, the, the sort of Hodgson illness where he took over against Aston Villa. And my my issue with the second game is that, you know, that was a on-the-morning thing. Roy Hodgson fortunately recovered, but, um, you know, McCarthy was never going to be able to exactly rip up what they've been preparing for the whole week and, and put his mark on things. I think he simply had to just yeah. fill in as though he was Roy and just sort of uh, take the game plan forward and just sort of uh, coordinate on the pitch, you know. I, I still think we haven't really seen enough of him at a senior level to actually say... You know, he's not good enough to be the future manager. But, you know, I, I totally appreciate that he's inexperienced. I'll buy that. I mean, do you have anything to add on that? Or I mean, not really, to be honest. Um, you know, he's just a great man. Um, uh, a credit to the club, a credit to himself. Um, and, you know, I hope he stays around the Palace for, you know, as long as he's able I mean, I could definitely see it happening. But my my big worry is um, obviously I think there's a kind of implicit knowledge that Roy probably I'm not going to even say he won't not be because you never know, right? But there is a probable there's, there's a probable chance that Roy is no longer an option next season. In which case we then have this issue of right if we can't really secure any decent choices, they end up going elsewhere. As always seems to be the case. Who's our backup options, right? In, in the first instance, it was Vieira for the for, for a season. It looked like a really good shout or a shrewd appointment at a relatively little cost. Now, obviously, it looks like a terrible decision in the long run because it just we couldn't really implement the plan in the way that we would have liked or backed him in the way that you know, maybe we promised. You know, my part there's a part of me that thinks, you know, Paddy McCarthy. You know, if, if I'm Steve Parrish, I'm thinking the classic kind of knows the club, has a general rapport, has the gen- a general sense of ambition in his tactics. You know, he's he doesn't he, have he, the experience at the end of the day, Alex. Um, no, I know. I agree. I agree. I, I agree totally. But I'm just, I'm just trying to think. We've been in the Premier League for ten years. It's a point where we should be able to attract the top class manager, and if we're not able to because of our budget, and that's just a bit of a joke. And I, I want to be understanding the board situation. And I know we've got the stadium coming up, but we haven't been able to get our first choice manager. We've never been able to get our first choice manager. You know, um, De Boer, I don't think was um, Vieira was our third choice. Um, we rejected how because we didn't think he was convincing and now he's obviously doing brilliantly at Newcastle. I just don't think that's a strong suit uh, for whoever's, you know, overseeing that process. We really have to hit it out the park. For one, it's, it's a group decision, yeah. of course, it's not just Steve Parrish. I think I think fans are too quick to jump on his back when really I think it oh, absolutely. comes from all sorts of voices. Poor, the guy is brave as hell to make him the, you know, the figurehead of, of that board because it's relatively um, turbulent uh from what we've heard and what we've read so even parish himself you know, to be fair said in the past that this is a club palace of course palace of course that's never had an issue attracting people you know we don't see the full process of interviewing and hiring and obviously i'd imagine the interest is still phenomenal whether those coaches are at the right level or where we think they're good enough is obviously another question but 
you know, I, I think in terms of actually attracting talent for that candidacy, it's not the problem. It's just a case of the quality and what we're able to obtain because you get past a certain threshold in quality and managers start to then impose their demands back on the club. Okay, are you going to back me? What's my coaching staff set up like? You start to have these sort of practical questions of the transition. Well, that's where it fell out with Vieira is we weren't mm-hmm. willing to back him because we didn't have enough confidence in him. So that's the problem. If you don't hire your first choice, and what I worry with Paddy McCarthy is the second the results, if he were to become our manager, started to... um dip i don't think we would um support him then you're risking losing a man who's been at the club for so long and who the fans have a great relationship with and the players have a great relationship with because i think the club would pull the trigger if they didn't think he had the experience to pull the club out of some sort of dip so that's what i worry with him is i think he's still got to um learn the ropes at that level and obviously if he did came in brilliantly i would be the first person to um you know be celebrating those those results but uh, I worry that it's such a risk to go for a manager like him at this current moment in his career and in our, um, uh, you know, plan as a club. There are a lot of managerial names we like. I think it's frankly a conversation for another time, though. I yeah. mean, we could spend all day talking about names we've been linked with. I, I know you've got a few that you, you know we're looking at, but we don't want to discuss it right now. Um, I well, don't make it up... seem like that. It makes it makes me seem like such a. <sighs> I don't like that at all. No, Uh, No, what I'll say is we've been linked with a lot of high-profile managers. Um, Yeah, fair enough. We know uh, McKenna at Ipswich is obviously a very talented manager, um, but he's quite tied to a club doing very successfully right now. And to leave a club that is so successful to join someone, you know, so-called higher up or a bigger club tends Mm -hmm. to backfire. We saw that with Graham Potter. Um, We've seen it plenty of times. Paolo Fonseca is another one doing really well at Lille. Um, I'm sure Adi Hoots is still on our radar. Fonseca is actually a really interesting one because he's got such an emphasis on youth that um, he'd be exactly the kind of manager that we would want um, with our academy um, and our general plan. So, yeah, I mean, we've we've been looking at people for a while now. Um, we've definitely, you know, gathered a short list of people. The question will be whether or not we can tempt them to leave their high-flying managers. When you've got good managers... And they're performing well. Why would they want to leave? So that's 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 going to be the job of the board is to coax them uh, in our direction. I mean, a bit of a quick killer question to end on on that note. Um, you know, is there a succession plan in place, a serious one? Or do you think it's a series of kind of loose talks and backup plans and scenario testing and things like that? What sort of prep do you think is going on behind the scenes? I mean, in terms of um, names, no club will really have like a set five-year plan for like which manager they hire. They, 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 they have no way of knowing, you know, in what direction negoti- negotiations will go. We saw that this summer, you know, with Wilfred Zaha. Um, we expected him to stay. We were quietly confident to quote um, the papers and um, that clearly meant nothing. So, you know, I'm sure we have some kind of plan in place for what we would financially be able to offer those managers. And I'm sure that's, yet again, you know, has wiggle room depending on results and depending on whatever our um, financial situation is come the summer. You know, we've got the stadium that's going to start development soon, hopefully. I've been saying that for a while, but, you know, um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure we're going to get to a point where we see some changes at board level. I think there may be some new investors and some departures as well definitely in the next season or two so any manager who comes in has to be prepared to work with that uh and i hope that our plan accounts for that kind of turbulence because it's going to be a pretty hectic time moving away from the stability and with the amount of high profile transfers and um that we're going to have to make out of our club you know in the next year it's going to be um it's a scary time to be a Palace fan. I think we have to all prepare ourselves for that because at the end of the day, Michael Lise will probably leave um, and then we'll lose another two in Decore Anderson. Probably not Eze um, based off, or at least in the immediate future. Um, it looks like we're tying him down to a new deal, by the way. Royce himself came out and said he expects that to be done soon. Um, there's talk in the papers. I, I think it's only just tabloids. There's nothing too concrete, but there's expectancy that there's a release clause in that contract as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um uh any agent around Crystal Palace who's seen how Michael Elise has been handling his career will be very inspired and watchful and trying to learn from that because there's no doubt Michael Elise is one of the most well-advised players, especially at that age, that we've ever seen. Um, and 
the decision for him to extend it surprised a lot, but I really don't think it will in about six months' time when we've supported him through an injury and he ends up seriously pressing for us, making us and him a lot more money, and he doesn't end up having to come back from injury and instantly be expected to make an impact at a club with the you know, reputation and pressure of Chelsea. It's a much smarter move for him to stay. And I'm sure, I've got no doubt that we played on that. And that's where my faith in the board comes in. You know, Steve Parrish is a highly competent individual. The guy is insanely intelligent uh, and he knows how to run a football club. Um, obviously, he is learning as he goes along. He said that in, a, in his podcast with uh, Jake Humphreys, but he is the kind of guy, he's a fan, you know, he's the kind of guy you want running a team like Crystal Palace. And I think if he can get... Um, dedicated investors who are okay not being majority shareholders um, in place of uh, John Texter or in place of um, Harrison Blitzer if they want to leave, and that's something that's been reported, then we have so much to look forward to as a club, even with all these um, stressful events that will be coming up with those deport de- with those departures. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns out there. I'm sure we have loose plans for what will happen, probably nothing concrete because there are so many directions that everything could go in. But I've got no doubt that we can put our faith in Steve Parrish to um, work us through it. I think there'll be some hiccups. I think there'll be things we'll be annoyed about, things that won't go to plan, Absolutely. as always. But well, it's I always still been. think they'll... Oh, no, always. It is the palace way. Um, right, I'm going to end on that terrible, terrible bombshell. Um, and wrap it up there. Bruno, thank you very much for coming on and talking as always. Uh, really good to hear your insight. Um, before we sort of do our usual farewell and our, our sort of classic plug for the pod, um, there have been some really exciting changes again at the Palace Way itself. Um, we've expanded our writing team significantly. So if you're following our socials, and if you're not already, it's at the Palace Way on Twitter, pretty obvious. Um, we're obviously pumping out more and more content, more analysis, really trying to answer the questions that you as fans have. And we, we are listening to all the sort of buzz and hubbub on social media anyway, because we want to be at the heart of those debates. Um, there's a really good bunch of guys there. If you don't know, CPFC Bobby's already there, uh, but we brought in a couple more writers. So Bruno, could you tell me just a bit about sort of the trajectory for where we're going with our writing? And there's a few more exciting updates, isn't there, that even I sort of have only just learned about. Well, um, something we've always spoken about since starting the Palace Way is the need for consistency, both in terms of the amount that we're releasing um, and its quality. And with the way the team is now and the way it's, the way it's shaping up, we're getting to a point where we can release four to five articles per week um, from different writers that are all being collaborated on, on different areas of the club, from the first team to um, the board, to the strategy, to the 21s, to women's football coming soon. That is going to be soon um, met with comments on our website so that you guys can get more involved directly with our articles instead of having to go through Twitter. We'll still have the podcast coming out every week. We're going to be fusing um, different genres of writing together, which is something I'm not going to speak too much about because that's still subject to a couple more details being hashed out. But we're trying to make some ripples um, in the world of Crystal Palace um, writing specifically and hopefully football as a whole and I know that's really ambitious for somebody of our size but we've got the talent to prove it I have been blown away with the people I've been working with you know Alex you'll get mad at me but working with you over the last year and a half has been an absolute pleasure um <laughs> you know <laughs> Bobby is immensely talented immensely ambitious immensely passionate he's exactly the sort of person you want um at the palace way um and we've got some brilliant new writers in Corey and henry i'll name i'll name drop them because they've got two new articles out at the moment that you should absolutely read i mean we put quite a lot of hours into editing those finding the perfect um you know ways of phrasing things statistics graphics and those will all be expanded on soon with our new um you know updates to our graphic design and branding so yes there's so much to look forward to please stay tuned i don't want to ramble for too long no no Um, it's fine but no, yeah, no, I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah, no, no, thank you. Thank you for your kind words too. But yeah, we've, we've always wanted to try and create the Palace Way as a more modern platform for fan debate. We've mentioned we're trying to get a kind of forum-like system in it, at the very least, as a kind of kind of minimum viable product, if you like, which is, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. But yeah, an MVP of sort of comments and that sort of thing. We actually have a developer working with us as well. So that's another member of the team we haven't plugged. But um, Who, by the way, is brilliant. I've known him for two and a half years and working with him on various projects. And I cannot thank him enough because 
his work for the Palace Way, he won't listen to this, but his work for the Palace Way has been exceptional, you know, to take my ridiculous designs and ideas uh, and to deal with, you know, all the crazy tags, hey, this isn't working and to make it work, you know, with things like school and just general life in the way. It's pretty fantastic. I mean, I, even at my job, I oversee some development work on a huge, huge international kind of e-commerce company. I won't say where I work for, of course, but, you know, even just working with a, with a dev team in India and you see the sort of stuff they do. I mean, it, it's insane. It boggles my mind, the amount of stuff they have to juggle, the problems they have to deal with. So, you know, even just at a smaller level, it's it's really fascinating to see them work. So long story short, not only are we grateful for your support as listeners, but we're really, really happy and optimistic about the trajectory of our whole operation. Because it's expanded and because we've got more people working with us, I think we're able to deliver a better quality of product for you guys, better podcasts and particularly a better article experience. You know, we really want to get people engaged and talking. And again, we've been blown away by the response we've had across all our channels. So as usual, I just want to thank you again for your support. And of course, Bruno echoes that. Um, if you haven't done so already, make sure you're following at the Palaceway on Twitter. And if you can leave us a review, one star, five star. We'd obviously prefer five, but we just want honest feedback because anything you I checked these, do... by the way, we're doing quite well on the on the review oh. front. I was, I was very pleasantly surprised. I was going to say, you sound very surprised by that. Are we that bad? Uh, no, no, thank <laughs> you, everyone. Though. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, anything, any feedback, good or bad, is welcome because, again, it always helps us improve. Um, I think that's pretty much it. So as always, yeah. we will be rolling up more updates. We're going to try and keep consistency. I have thought of something. I hate to be really annoying because it was a good time to wrap up. Um I'm actually on holiday for a couple of weeks. That goes out to the listeners as well. I'm going to be, ordinarily, I will be on the podcast, but I'm literally at sea. So there is no way I'm going to be able to do this pod, Bruno. So I'm leaving it in your capable hands to bring on our usual cadre of guests, including... Oh, don't you worry. We've got some fantastic guests lined up. Thank you for the for the tea up. Um, it'll be with Bobby Manzi, who is one of our fantastic writers, uh, made a name for himself in the summer transfer window. And Edmund Brack as well, the um, fantastic football writer for South London Press. So, yeah, it's not one you'd want to miss. No, two excellent writers. Um, we've actually had Edmund on the pod before, haven't we? He, it was a tremendous listen. And again, that was one I couldn't make. So I'm kind of gutted I won't be able to catch him for this one. But yeah, Edmund Brack of the South London Press will be here as well as our very own CPFC Bobby, Bobby Manzi, um, another sports journalist who is heading up our writing department. So really excited for that. Um I'll wrap it up there. But again, thank you for your feedback and support. And as always, we will see you in the next one. Thank you and bye-bye.